I want to give you a report about a couple of things that happened in the last 10 days or so. But as you know, and as we support the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we had 26 students that were at a Bible study that was taught by their coach last week and that gave their life to Christ. And uh, we were able to deliver 26 Bibles and put them in their hands uh, this week. We had 18 students at Oxford High School who stood up in front of 50 other students and said, I've never given my life to Christ. I want to follow Him now with all that I am and all that I have. The Lord is doing a real work in our midst, and we give praise to Him for that. Would you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4? Thank you for your prayer, Mark. Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to be studying verses 10 through 19 this morning. The title of the message is The Skill of Choosing the Right Way. The Skill of Choosing the Right Way. Last week, we studied about the skill of trusting the Lord. This week, it's the skill of choosing the way of the Lord. We'll read verses 10 through 19. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence." But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We should all be preachers. All of us should be preachers. That is, we should preach God's truth to ourselves every single day. And once we preach God's truth to ourselves every single day, we then should preach that truth to the people that God has providentially put into our lives. As I read and meditated on Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 19 this week, I began to preach it to myself. And I began to incorporate the gospel as I preached it to myself this week. And right now, what I want to do is I want to let you in on the message that I preached to myself this week. It is rooted in Proverbs chapter 4, and it is regulated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so why don't you listen to what I preached to Ryan Limbaugh. Ryan, there are two ways to live. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. If you choose the right way, life will be increasingly sweet and eternally bright. If you choose the wrong way, 
life will be increasingly wicked and devastatingly dark. So choose the right way and reject the wrong way every day until your final day. Y'all tracking with me? But when you choose the wrong way, Ryan, because you will choose the wrong way on more than one day, run to the one who never chose the wrong way and always chose the right way. Run to Him because He is the one who was crucified on that dark day as if He had lived the wrong way. Run to Him because He is the one who did say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Run to Him. Run to Him on your worst day and He'll love you as if it's your best day. Run to Him on your best day because your best day lived in your own way will never be good enough on that final day. Run to Him. And He'll not only justify you for the final day, but He'll strengthen you to live the right way every day until you see the full light of day. And then with all the saints in full array, you'll look up to Him and say, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now that's what the Lord worked in my heart this week. I will tell you that that's the sermon that I preached, but in full disclosure, it didn't have all the ringing to it. Uh, I did that yesterday. But that's what I told myself as verse 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 worked itself down into my heart. God's way is the sweetest, the wisest, and the most rewarding way to live. But I have one major problem. That problem is sin. And so I am tempted not to choose God's way. My way keeps me from choosing His way. It keeps me from seeing it, from believing it, from wanting it, and then from being able to live it out. And so what I need is a rescue. A, a, a rescuer, a savior, a redeemer to take me out of my way and put me in to God's way. He needs to rescue me from my blindness and my callousness and my fallenness and my foolishness. I need a savior to guide me along God's way every day. And so church, I want to tell you this, because whether or not you choose to believe it, it is 100% true. Every one of us can walk off of God's way, God's path today. Every one of us can. It happens every single day. It doesn't matter whether you're a single man, a married mom, or a doting grandfather. You can walk off of God's path any single day. I know a missionary who got on a plane to go to a missionary conference He got off of that plane, took a taxi to his hotel, and spent the night with a prostitute. It destroyed his ministry and devastated his marriage. I know a pastor who has preached the gospel, written books on the gospel, led conferences on the gospel, and betrayed his wife about five months ago. I know a seminary professor who taught pastors how to be pastors, who led Sunday school, who was an elder at his church, 
and lived a secret life of shame until he was discovered. I know a homeschool mom who decided to start buying alcohol and drinking it during the day and looking up old boyfriends from high school on the internet and ultimately destroying the family and leaving. If it can happen to a pastor, to a missionary, to a seminary professor, to a homeschool mom, you better not believe it can't happen to you. This is what Solomon would say to us from Proverbs 4. There are two ways in life. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. The way of life and the way of death. The righteous way and the wicked way. The right way, the wrong way. There are two ways. There is no third way. Which way are you on? Right now from the text, I just want to give you the right way, the wrong way, and the result of each of those ways. That's what I want to do. So look down at the text, you see the right way in verses 10 through 13. Beginning in verse 10, we see the trajectory of the right way. He says, hear my son, or listen my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. He's giving his son the trajectory of of choosing the right way. What is a trajectory? The trajectory is the path upon th- th- that something travels, right? The path that something travels. Sometimes it's curved, sometimes it's straight, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. But what he's saying is, I want the trajectory of your life to be on God's way, the right way. And so what do you need to do? You need to listen to me. You need not to ignore me, not to tune me out, but to fix your mind and your heart on my instructions, with our, which are instructions from the Lord's Word. He says, accept my words, receive them, grasp hold of them. I think that if Solomon were writing this proverb in in contemporary United States of America, he would say, it's like I'm throwing you a pass. And son, if you will take that pass, catch that ball, tuck it tightly under your arm and take it to the house all the way to the end zone, because this is where you're going to find success. He's saying, accept it, receive my words. Why? Because the years of your life may be what? Many. This is all he's saying. He's saying, I want you to enjoy a life that is full of joy. I want you to know the sweetness of fellowship with God. I want you to experience the joy of raising children and loving grandchildren for the glory of God. I don't want you to die a premature death, and I don't want you to live to be 92 as a crusty old man. I want you to walk in the right way every day so you'll be a blessed, blessed man. Look down at the text. I just want you to know that Solomon is writing to his son. But earlier in chapter 4, the grandfather also kind of enters into the picture, the way that the wording is is put. But the fact is this, it doesn't matter whether you're 25, 45, or 65. Listen to me, you're never not a son when you read Proverbs. You're never not a son when you read Proverbs. You may graduate to be the father and the grandfather or the mother and the grandmother that passes down instructions and principles and wisdom, but don't ever see yourself as having graduated from sonship or daughtership from the Lord's instructions. And so the trajectory of the right way is the the life that is qualitative and quantitative. It is lived fully and long for the glory of God. 
Look at the teaching of the right way in verse 11. He says, I've taught you. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. He's showing us the teaching of the right way. One of the key principles that I learned from this verse is that the way of wisdom is not found by chance. You you just don't stumble upon the right way in living it. The the way of wisdom is found through teaching. That's how it's found. And so, Mike and Joanna, if you want true to be wise and not foolish, don't just just hope for hope. Train her every day. Love her every day. Pray for her every day. Mike and Leah, if you want your kids to be wise and not foolish, you train them every day. You open up the Proverbs, you open up the Scriptures, and you train them in wisdom. Because that's how a person can choose the right way. Now, how do you teach your kids? Now, this, this is uh, kind of extrapolated not only from Proverbs, but, but also from the rest of the Bible. If you're a parent in this room or if you're a discipler in this room, you're trying to pour your life into somebody else so that they can walk in the right way. Let me give you just three ways in which you can teach your children or the people that you're discipling the right way. The first one is formative instruction. Formative instruction. And what I mean by that is that you are literally sitting down with this person or with this child or these children and you're opening up the scriptures and you explain the scriptures to them so that they can understand what God's word means. You you are training them. You are literally taking the time to show them the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the way of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the son of God. You're training them proactively. And then you're also, the second part of teaching your kids is that you are bringing corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. In other words, when they're choosing the wrong way and you've laid out for the path for them to go and you've clearly articulated the right way and they choose the wrong way, you don't, you don't shy back, you don't retreat, you don't become passive. You deal with the issue in a loving, merciful, kind, but corrective way. I want to tell you something, parents. If you ignore your children's disobedience, you're not being loving to them. You're not teaching them. You are giving them a license to sin. And you are giving them a license to live in rebellion for the rest of their life. And so you have formative instruction and corrective discipline. But the third thing, which I think is the most powerful, and that is personal example. Personal example. How are you living your life? How do you respond to difficult circumstances? When an appliance goes out, how do you respond? When a person cuts you off driving down the road, how do you respond? When your boss comes into your office and terminates you, how do you respond? How do you respond with a child's disobedience? How do you respond to a difficulty in the the home? Because the person that you're training and the children that you're teaching are constantly watching and they are learning more from your life than they are anything else. And so the right way is being explained by the teaching of it. Formative instruction, corrective discipline, personal example. We see it all throughout the Proverbs. So we see the trajectory of the, the right way, the teaching of the right way. Look down at verse 12. We see the triumph of the right way. He says, when you walk, 
Your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. This is what he's saying. He's saying when you choose the right way, you're choosing a path that is tried and true. You're choosing a path that is ancient and proven. It is well-traveled and well-worn. And so your steps will not be impeded. So Anthony and Carolyn, when you guys choose the right way, which is God's way, the righteous way, it's not like you're forging your own path. It's not like you're going into the forest and there's just no way to go and and you have to take some clippers and a knife and, and everything else and you're just constantly having to whack down these weeds and cut down these trees in order to forge your way. You know why it's not that way? It's because the Apostle Paul walked this way and he's beaten down the path a little bit. Peter and John, they walked the same way. Irenaeus, Martin Luther, Lottie Moon, I don't know, Elizabeth Elliot. They've all walked this same path. And, 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 they, and all you have to do is if you want to walk the right way is follow the same path that they have walked. There is triumph in following the tradition of the saints who have gone before us. Psalm says that one generation shall declare the praises of the Lord to the next generation. And listen, when we listen to those praises, we are also following their example. And it gives us a triumph. It says, listen, this way is not something that we have to discover. It's one that we have to follow. But he says, if you run, you will not stumble. You're going to see that word stumble come up three times in this passage. And he's saying, you won't trip up. You're not going to fall down. It's it's not going to be debilitating for you. You're going to get to the end of your life, and there is going to be a triumphant nature about it. You're not going to stop short. You're not going to fall down. You're not going to waste away. Listen, I have never met anyone on their deathbed or read anyone who was on their deathbed who lived for Christ and followed the right way and said at the very end, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. That's never happened. Because people who walk on the right way, the path toward the glory of God and the wisdom of God, have spent a life well lived. And that's what verse 12 is telling us. Then look at verse 13. He now shows us the training of the right way. Boy, he just gets really just direct. He says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Just look at the text. I ask the question, why threefold instruction here, Solomon? I mean, isn't one command here sufficient? I mean, couldn't you have just said keep hold or don't let go or guard her? And I think think Solomon would say, no. No, I had to give a threefold instruction because you need to feel and appreciate the urgency and the intensity of this command. You need to understand the nuances of these commands. Look down at the text. He says, keep hold of instruction. In other words, hold on to it tightly. Grip it with all your might. Yesterday we had some family friends from Georgia that came over to our house and we were out, outside playing on our little play set and we have monkey bars and, and we, we decided to have a contest to see who could jump up to the monkey bars and, and hold on to them the longest. And it was, it was fun for about a minute. And, and then, you know, your hands start cramping and your fingers start, start hurting. And what are you tempted to do? Just to let go, right? But it's at the moment when you're trying 
to, to decide whether or not you're just going to let go or hold on is that you've got to grip tighter and tighter because you realize that if you want to win, if you want to compete well, then you've got to grip hold very tight. Well, listen, listen. Solomon is saying when life happens, when the decisions that Mark was talking about during his prayer happen, you have to have in your mind and in your heart a setness about you a fixedness about you that says, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on as tight as I possibly can in the midst of this difficult moment or this tough decision or this controversy that I find myself in. And similarly, he says, he says don't let go. Don't release yourself from God's wisdom. That's what he's saying. Don't release yourself from God's wisdom. Okay, it's the last weekend in August. It's, it's moving it's moving weekend for so many college students, 18 and 19-year-olds, isn't it? Some of you maybe went off to college. This is the weekend that many 18 and 19-year-olds decide to disobey Solomon's instruction right here, to let go of God's instruction, to let go of parental wisdom, to be released from that and forge their own way and to walk in the way of folly and in the way of inexperience and the way of ignorance and the way of wickedness. And what Solomon would say to every 18 and 19 year old Christian, don't let go of God's wisdom. Don't release yourself from her. But instead, look, guard her. Keep watch over her. Protect and preserve her. This is what Solomon would say. You are a watchman on the wall of your heart. You should not let anything or anybody sneak in and steal God's wisdom from you. Look back down at verse 12. I want you to see something here. Wisdom is not the product of a one-time decision. It is the product of a daily commitment over the course of an entire lifetime to walk on God's path. If you want to be wise and if you want to walk in the right way, then you must dedicate yourself to that path every single day. And then you'll experience the triumph and the training of the right way. So that's the right way. Let's now look at the wrong way, verses 14 to 17. 14 to 17. In, in the first two verses, he shows us the avoidance of the wrong way. Man, he just puts one instruction on top of another, on top of another. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Now, let's, let's look at each of those commands, but before we do, let's look at this word wicked and evil. Who, who are the wicked people? Who are the evil people? Wicked people are those people whose hearts are bent away from the glory of God and toward the glory of self. That's all a wicked person is. When, when you and I hear wicked and we hear, we're, hear evil, I mean, we go to like the worst extreme. We go to like Jeffrey Dahmer. We go to some of these serial killers. And in fact, those people have been wicked. But all people who turn away from the glory and greatness and beauty of God and they turn inward to themselves and say, I'm going to live life in my own way, on my own path, for my own glory. 
Every one of those people are wicked. Every one of those people are evil. And he says, don't enter their path. Don't walk in their way. Now, folks, let's just just get real and practical right here. Just look down at verse 14 and 15. Don't enter it. That means don't take a step toward it. Don't Don't even... Think about walking toward the wrong way. I, uh, I was running early one morning this week on you know, a trail behind our house. And uh, it's a really nice trail. It leads to the Chakalaka Creek. And it's really just a, a beautiful trail. You run through a field where they're growing cotton. And then, and then there's kind of this, this forest, I guess you could say. That might be a glorified version, uh, you know, word for it. But um, I like to think of it as a forest. And so you run into it. And then as you're on there about a quarter of a mile... There are a couple of paths that, that are on the left-hand side. And you, as you're running and you look kind of out there, there's a, it's, it's a little path and there are kind of briars and stuff that are through there. And it, then it gets thick and so you can't see where it goes. But y'all know where I'm talking about. The hikers know where I'm talking about. Well, well, it's kind of inviting. You're like, where does that go? Where does that go? Now, I don't think it goes anywhere evil, but... If we're talking in spiritual terms and we're on the path toward God's celestial city as Christian was, and we see that path, we need to say, I'm not even going to enter in that. I'm not even going to enter into my thoughts that I need to go down there because I know the path that I'm on is going to lead me to life and light and glory. And I don't need to be persuaded by any of these mysterious, alluring different ways. So don't enter there. Don't take a step toward there. And he says, do not walk in the way of the evil. Don't even allow yourself to be led by the wicked onto their path. I remember when I was in junior high school, and I was up on the the second level of our campus. It was a new school, and there were these guys who stood up along the concrete wall. And if you went to public school, or maybe even this was a way in private school, there was kind of a cool guy crowd. And I remember being kind of persuaded to, to kind of join with those guys. And the thing about these guys is they were constantly making fun of people. They were laughing. They were saying things they shouldn't say. They, they just had just bad ideas, but they thought they were really cool. And you know what? I was, persu- I was persuaded to join them because I thought, you know, if they're the cool guys, I want to be in that, in that group. And Solomon would be screaming at me at that moment, and he would say, do not walk with them. Right. Yeah. Don't walk with them. And then he would say, avoid it. Do whatever it takes to not go on the wrong way. Remember there was a man, when when Jamie and I lived out in California, there was a Christian man who had a certain path to his job in Los Angeles every day. But they put up on a billboard a a very explicit picture and advertisement. And this man instead of taking a direct path to his workplace every day, went around 10 miles to get to work every day. Why? Because he wanted to avoid the wicked way. That is taking the Proverbs seriously. And he says, not only avoid it, he says, turn away from it. Go in the opposite direction. Don't hang around with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't leave the door cracked so that you might could walk in there one day if you really, really wanted to. No, he says, turn away from it completely and pass on. Get on your way, the right way, and don't look back. 
Young people, I'd like for you to look uh, at me uh, for just a moment. Adam, if you'll look at me, Carson, Cody, guys. I want to tell you that the most liberating thing that I've ever experienced on a decision-making level was when I made the decision not to try to fit in with all the cool people, not to try to fit in with all the people who were doing things the in way. When I made that decision when I was in the 11th grade, it was the most freeing and liberating decision I've ever made. And over 23 years now, I've been walking God's way. Making mistakes? Absolutely. But I am unconcerned about fitting in with the ways of this world and the people of this world. The sooner you make that decision, the freer your life will be for the rest of your life. So he says, pass on. So we see the avoidance of the wrong way, and then we see the addiction of the wrong way. This is, this is scary. Look at verse 16. He says, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Wicked people have an insomniacal bent toward evil and toward sin. They can't sleep unless they have that that itch and that desire fulfilled. They cannot rest and they will not be at peace until they entangle others in their lifestyle or violate others for their own personal gain. I think that's what Solomon would say. What gives the wicked sleepless nights? Why why do wicked people squirm around in the bed and lay lay in their bed with their eyes open and, and just watch the clock and they just can't seem to sleep. Why is that? Because they have yet fulfilled their, their unquenchable desire to either do evil to people or join, get people to join them in their wicked way. You know, I haven't, I haven't known just one person like this. I've known a hundred people like this. I remember about 16 years ago, I was asked to go lead a disciple now in another city. And I was given charge over all of the senior guys at Disciple Now. It's a Friday afternoon through a Sunday afternoon deal. And there was another lady who was given all the senior girls. And we were to do a few things together over the weekend. But when I walked into the host home, the host family had a son who was a senior. And he had all of the guys grouped up around his computer, and he was showing them images that he should never show them. And as soon as I saw that, I realized this is going to be a difficult weekend. The next day, a little bit after lunch, I had the lady counselor come up to me and she said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? She said, what are you teaching? And why are you acting the way that you're acting? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll just make the guy's name up. Joey, this guy who was showing the images, had gone to her and made up all of these lies about what I was saying and what I was doing and how I was leading, what I was teaching from the Bible, in order to stir up controversy and chaos in the midst of our group. It was a brutal weekend. But it was about nine or ten months later when I was driving downtown of that city and I saw that same guy walk out of an establishment, pull out of his pocket keys, and he walked by a brand new 4x4 truck and he keyed it from the very back all the way to the very front. 
Jamie was in the car with me. I said, Jamie, I know that guy. Listen, listen. He's exactly who Solomon is talking about here. He is addicted to chaos. He is addicted to sin. And he cannot find fulfillment unless he expresses it day after day after day. Listen, listen. If you choose the wrong way, if you say, I'm not going to go God's way, I'm not going to go that righteous, religious, spiritual stuff. I'm going to go my own way. Well, let me tell you, you will not be able to control the trajectory upon which you go. And you may very well end up just like him. So we see the addiction of the wrong way. And then look, finally, we see the appetite of the wrong way. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. I think we've all heard this before, but sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And what Solomon is saying is, not only do they become addicted to the evil way, the self-glorifying, God-rejecting way, but it becomes who they are. It becomes their identity. It becomes their nature. And they can't enjoy even the simplest and sweetest pleasures of life without doing wickedness. Listen, I have friends, I have people who I know and who I love who can't watch next weekend. They cannot turn on ESPN at 7 o'clock and watch the Alabama-Wisconsin game without having $100 gambled on it. Why? Because they are addicted to the wicked way and they can't enjoy life apart from wickedness. Listen, there are people who cannot go play a round of golf at Cider Ridge or a beautiful place like Farmlings without a six-pack of beer in their golf cart. Why? Because they can't enjoy the simplest things in life without going on the wicked way. There are men and women who will go on a first date this coming weekend and they will will like how each other look, but they will not enjoy themselves if there is no physical pleasure to be had. Why? Because they know nothing but deviant sexual pleasure. There are married people who hate being married because marriage is no longer self-serving for them. It is now sacrificial and they can't stand it and they want out of it. This is the appetite of the wrong way. And Solomon is saying, do whatever you have to do to avoid that way and go on God's way. Now we're going to see why. Let's look at the result of both. The result of each of the ways. The result of the right way, Solomon tells us, is increasing light. He says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. I love this picture, folks. This light, it represents our salvation, our sanctification, that is, us becoming more and more like Jesus and enjoying more and more the presence and the power of Jesus in our lives until one day we will see the full light of His glory and His beauty and His excellence. And not only will we see Him, we'll be like Him and we'll enjoy it. I believe that that is the ultimate picture that Solomon is drawing us to. He is saying the right way is the best way because one day you're going to see the full light of glorious day. And then he says, but if you choose the wrong way, 
If you choose the wicked way, he says, then you'll have deep darkness. Look at verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Bruce Waltke, in his one awesome commentary on Proverbs, says this about deep darkness. Listen. He says, without the moral light of conscience, conscience within, or the divine revelation from without, which is God's scriptures, they do not know the cause of their calamity, for they see no connection between sin and death. The ignorance of both the nature and consequence of wickedness is the mark of absolute moral failure and rejection of God Himself. And He uses this word stumble again. He says they do not know. They do not know over what they stumble. To stumble is to trip up and to fall. And Solomon is painting this picture. It's not like they stumble and fall and get back up and keep on going. They stumble and fall and it's all over for them. It's all over. My freshman year in college, we're playing our arch rival. We go to their place. We're practicing on Thursday. Just doing simple drills, taking BP. Infielders are taking ground balls. Outfielders are taking fly balls. And then we just kind of have a mini scrimmage. And our right fielder is out in right field. He's ultra talented. Probably the most talented guy on our team. He's playing right field. He's tall. He's like 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds. He's muscly. He can run fast. Ball is hit up in the air his way. And as soon as it's hit up in the air, it's going to be over his head a little bit. And so he backs pedals like this. And it goes to his left a little bit. And so as he does this, he trips over his feet and falls down. The ball drops and goes to the fence. Our head coach ran out there. So what are you doing? We work on our back step every single day. You see, if you're an outfielder, he's trained to as soon as the ball goes up in the air, he opens up fully, takes a gauge of where it's going to be, and then if it's going to be over his head, he can run back like this, camp under the ball. You never backpedal because you can trip over your feet. He knows this. He's been trained that way every day. But not on this day, not on the practice before the big game. And so he stumbles and falls, and coach tries to correct him. He's already done the formative instruction. He's doing the corrective discipline, right? Well, we go and play our arch rival. It's number one versus number two. We're up one run. Our pitcher, who's an All-American, walks two hitters in a row. I was mad. I was like, what are you doing? You know, he said, I didn't want to give him anything good to hit. I remember that. That was 20 years ago. I remember what he said. Um, so there's two runners on. Our right fielder is in right field. Here he is. We're up a run. Ball's hit up in the air. Just like yesterday. Our right fielder backpedals, comes this way, trips over his own feet. Ball goes over his head, goes to the wall. Two runners go around. We get beat. Arch rival. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did he stumble and fall? Because he chose his way, which was the wrong way, which in a sense was the wicked way. 
instead of choosing the right way, God's way. Listen to me, folks. You and I make decisions every day that are way, 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 way more important than baseball. We make decisions on how we treat our spouses, on how we treat our parents, on how we work at our jobs, and how we study in school, and how we labor as unto the Lord and rather than unto men. We make decisions every day, and at every single point, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to do it God's way, or am I going to do it my way? I want to ask you to just, if you would, bow your head. Close your eyes. I'm just going to give you some time to meditate right now. I want you to evaluate the way that you're living. Right now, evaluate your life and your way. Man, if you're living the right way right now, man, give thanks to God and offer yourself to Him in humility. Man, give Him thanks right now. If you're living the wrong way, I want to call you to repent. Turn from the wrong way today. If you're trying to do both right now, if you're trying to live the right way when people are looking, but you know you're living your way when people aren't because you want to fulfill the longings of your flesh, I call you to repent and turn to Christ Choose the right way today. Reject the wrong way. And no matter whether you're on the right way or the wrong way, right now, I call you to run to Christ. Run to Christ. If it's your best day, run to Christ. And show Christ that even on your best day, you need Him in a terrible way. And if it's your worst day today, if you feel rotten, if you've been sinful, if you've been rejecting Him at every turn, cast yourself upon the Lord. Do a belly flop on His grace and say, with all of my fear and all of my failures and all of my problems, I come to You, Lord Jesus. I want to go on Your way. You know, some of you may be tempted to say, yeah, you know, the right way, the wrong way, that's, you know, that's, that's good and stuff, but that's in Proverbs. That's not in the New Testament. That's, you know, that's before the Gospel. And, and so really all we, we need to do is just affirm that Jesus is alive and we're good. And it really doesn't matter how we walk. Would you, would you read or, or read with me or listen to me read from the most Gospel-oriented ambassador I think that ever lived the Apostle Paul listen but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I think words about the wrong way. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But anything, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, church, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Proverbs is calling every single reader to make a choice today. The choice between the right way and the wrong way. God's way and your own way. Today we want to give you an opportunity to make that choice. And so Ron and I are going to stand here and we're going to sing one more song. And if you want to make a decision to follow God's way, you may be a Christian and say, you know what, I've just been going in the wrong path and I need help and I need prayer and I need encouragement. Would you do that for me today? Or you may say, you know what, I've never chosen the right way. I have never said I'm going all in with God and His wisdom and His righteousness and I want to make that decision today. We want to call you to do exactly what Solomon was calling his son to do. Make a choice to choose the right way today. I want to give you that opportunity right now.